Chapter twenty six of the Vicar of Bullhampton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Vicar of Bullhampton by Anthony Trollope. Chapter twenty six. The Turnover Correspondence. It is hoped that the reader will remember that the Marquis of Trowbridge was subjected to very great insolence from Mr. Fenwick during the discussion which took place in poor old Farmer Trumbull's parlour respecting the murder. Our friend the vicar did not content himself with personal invective, but made allusion to the Marquis's daughters. The Marquis, as he was driven home in his carriage, came to sundry conclusions about Mr. Fenwick. That the man was an infidel, he had now no matter of doubt whatever." and if an infidel then also a hypocrite and a liar and a traitor and a thief was he not robbing the parish of the tithes and all the while entrapping the souls of men and women was it not to be expected that with such a pastor there should be such as sam brattle and carrie brattle in the parish it was true that as yet this full-blown iniquity had spread itself only among the comparatively small number of tenants belonging to the objectionable person who unfortunately owned a small number of acres in his lordship's parish but his lordship's tenant had been murdered and with such a pastor in the parish and such an objectionable person owning acres to back the pastor might it not be expected that all his tenants would be murdered many applications had already been made to the marquis for the church farm but as it happened that the applicant whom the marquis intended to favour had declared that he did not wish to live in the house because of the murder the marquis felt himself justified in concluding that if everything about the parish were not changed very shortly no decent person would be found willing to live in any of his houses and now when they had been talking of murderers and worse than murderers as the marquis said to himself shaking his head with horror in the carriage as he thought of such iniquity this infidel clergyman had dared to allude to his lordship's daughters such a man had no right even to think of women so exalted the existence of the ladies stout must no doubt be known to such men and among themselves probably some allusion in the way of faint guesses might be made as to their modes of life as men guess at kings and queens and even at gods and goddesses but to have an illustration and a very base illustration drawn from his own daughters in his own presence made with the object of confuting himself this was more than the marquis could endure he could not horsewhip mr fenwick nor could he send out his retainers to do so but thank god there was a bishop he did not quite see his way but he thought that mr fenwick might be made at least to leave that parish turn my daughters out of my house because oh oh he almost put his fist through the carriage window in the energy of his action as he thought of it as it happened the marquis of trowbridge had never sat in the house of commons but he had a son who sat there now lord st george was member for another county in which lord trowbridge had an estate and was a man of the world his father admired him much and trusted him a good deal but still had an idea that his son hardly estimated in the proper light the position in the world which he was called to fill lord st george was now at home at the castle and in the course of that evening the father as a matter of course consulted the son he considered that it would be his duty to write to the bishop but he would like to hear st george's idea on the subject he began of course by saying that he did not doubt but that st george would agree with him i shouldn't make any fuss about it said the son what pass it over yes i think so 
Do you understand the kind of allusion that was made to your sisters? It won't hurt them, my lord, and people make allusion to everything nowadays. The bishop can't do anything. For aught you know, he and Fenwick may be bosom friends. The bishop, St. George, is a most right-thinking man. No doubt. The bishops, I believe, are all right-thinking men, and it is well for them that they are so very seldom called on to go beyond thinking. No doubt he'll think that this fellow is indiscreet. But he can't go beyond thinking. You'll only be raising a blister for yourself. Raising a what? A blister, my lord. The longer I live, the more convinced I become that a man shouldn't keep his own sores open. There was something in the tone of his son's conversation which pained the Marquis much, but his son was known to be a wise and prudent man, and one who was rising in the political world. The Marquis sighed and shook his head and murmured something as to the duty which lay upon the great, to bear the troubles incident to their greatness, by which he meant that sores and blisters should be kept open, if the exigencies of rank so required. But he ended the discussion at last by declaring that he would rest upon the matter for forty-eight hours. Unfortunately, before those forty-eight hours were over, Lord St. George had gone from Turnover Castle, and the Marquis was left to his own lights. In the meantime, the father and son, and one or two friends, had been shooting over at Bullhampton, so that no further steps of warfare had been taken when Mr. and Mrs. Fenwick met the Marquis on the pathway. On the following day, his lordship sat in his own private room thinking of his grievance. He had thought of it, and of little else, for now nearly sixty hours— suggest to me to turn out my daughters heaven and earth my daughters he was well aware that though he and his son often differed he could never so safely keep himself out of trouble as by following his son's advice but surely this was a matter per se standing altogether on its own bottom very different from those ordinary details of life on which he and his son were wont to disagree his daughters the lady sophie and carolina stout it had been suggested to him to turn them out of his house because Oh, the insult was so great that no human marquis could stand it. He longed to be writing a letter to the bishop. He was proud of his letters. Pen and paper were at hand, and he did write. Write, reverend and dear Lord Bishop. I think it right to represent to your lordship the conduct, I believe I may be justified in saying the misconduct, of the reverend Fenwick, the vicar of Bullhampton. He knew our friend's Christian name very well, but he did not choose to have it appear that his august memory had been laden with a thing so trifling. "'You may have heard that there has been a most horrid murder committed in the parish on one of my tenants, and that suspicion is rife that the murder was committed in part by a young man, the son of a miller who lives under a person who owns some land in the parish.' The family is very bad, one of the daughters being, as I understand, a prostitute. The other day I thought it right to visit the parish, with the view of preventing, if possible, the sojourn there among my people of these objectionable characters. When there, I was encountered by Mr. Fenwick, not only in a most unchristian spirit, but in a bearing so little gentlemanlike that I cannot describe it to you. He had obtruded himself into my presence, into one of my own houses, the very house of the murdered man, and there, when I was consulting with the person to whom I have alluded, as to the expediency of ridding ourselves of these objectionable characters, he met me with ribaldry and personal insolence, when I tell your lordship that he made insinuations about my own daughters so gross that I cannot repeat them to you, I am sure that I need go no further. There were present at this meeting Mr. Puddleham, the Methodist minister, 
and mr henry gilmore the landlord of the persons in question your lordship has probably heard the character in a religious point of view of this gentleman it is not for me to express an opinion of the motives which can induce such a one to retain his position as an incumbent of a parish but i do believe that i have a right to ask from your lordship for some inquiry into the scene which i have attempted to describe and to expect some protection for the future i do not for a moment doubt that your lordship will do what is right in the matter i have the honour to be right reverend and dear lord bishop your most obedient and faithful servant trowbridge he read this over thrice and became so much in love with the composition that on the third reading he had not the slightest doubt as to the expediency of sending it nor had he much doubt but that the bishop would do something to mr fenwick which would make the parish too hot to hold that disgrace to the church of england when fenwick came home from pycroft common he found a letter from the bishop awaiting him he had driven forty miles on that day and was rather late for dinner his wife however came upstairs with him in order that she might hear something of his story and brought his letters with her he did not open that from the bishop till he was half dressed and then burst out into loud laughter as he read it what is it frank asked his wife through the open door of her own room here's such a game said he never mind let's have dinner and then you shall see it the reader however may be quite sure that mrs fenwick did not wait till dinner was served before she knew the nature of the game the bishop's letter to the vicar was very short and very rational and it was not that which made the vicar laugh but inside the bishop's letter was that from the marquis my dear mr fenwick said the bishop after a good deal of consideration i have determined to send you the enclosed i do so because i have made it a rule never to receive an accusation against one of my clergy without sending it to the person accused you will of course perceive that it alludes to some matter which lies outside of my control and right of inquiry but perhaps you will allow me as a friend to suggest to you that it is always well for a parish clergyman to avoid controversy and quarrel with his neighbours and that it is especially expedient that he should be on good terms with those who have influence in his parish perhaps you will forgive me if i add that a spirit of pugnacity though no doubt it may lead to much that is good has its bad tendencies if not watched closely pray remember that lord trowbridge is a worthy man doing his duty on the whole well and that his position though it be entitled to no veneration is entitled to much respect if you can tell me that you will feel no grudge against him for what has taken place i shall be very happy you will observe that i have been careful that this letter shall have no official character yours very faithfully etc 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 the letter was answered that evening but before the answer was written the marquis of trowbridge was discussed between the husband and wife not in complimentary terms mrs fenwick on the occasion was more pugnacious than her husband she could not forgive the man who had hinted to the bishop that her husband held his living from unworthy motives and that he was a bad clergyman my dear girl said fenwick what can you expect from an ass but his ears i don't expect downright slander from such a man as the marquis of trowbridge and if i were you i should tell the bishop so i shall tell him nothing of the kind i shall write about the marquis with the kindliest feelings but you don't feel kindly yes i do the poor old idiot has nobody to keep him right and does the best he can according to his lights i have no doubt he thinks that i am everything that is horrid i am not a bit angry with him and would be as civil to him to-morrow as my nature would allow me if he would only be civil to me 
then he wrote his letter which will complete the correspondence and which he dated for the following day bullhampton vicarage october twenty third eighteen sixty blank my dear lord bishop i return the marquis's letter with many thanks i can assure you that i take in proper spirit your little hints as to my pugnacity of disposition and will endeavour to profit by them my wife tells me that i am given to combativeness and i have no doubt that she is right as to lord trowbridge i can assure your lordship that i will not bear any malice against him or even think ill of him because of his complaint he and i probably differ in opinion about almost everything and he is one of those who pity the condition of all who are so blinded as to differ from him the next time that i am thrown into his company i shall act exactly as though no such letter had been written and as if no such meeting had taken place as that which he describes i hope i may be allowed to assure your lordship without any reference to my motives for keeping it that i shall be very slow to give up a living in your lordship's diocese as your letter to me is unofficial and i thank you heartily for sending it in such form i have ventured to reply in the same strain i am my dear lord bishop your very faithful servant francis fenwick there said he as he folded it and handed it to his wife i shall never see the remainder of the series i would give a shilling to know how the bishop gets out of it in writing to the marquis and half a crown to see the marquis's rejoinder the reader shall be troubled with neither as he would hardly price them so high as did the vicar the bishop's letter really contained a little beyond an assurance on his part that mr fenwick had not meant anything wrong and that the matter was one with which he the bishop had no concern all which was worded with most complete episcopal courtesy the rejoinder of the marquis was long elaborate and very pompous he did not exactly scold the bishop but he expressed very plainly his opinion that the church of england was going to the dogs because a bishop had not the power of utterly abolishing any clergyman who might be guilty of an offence against so distinguished a person as the marquis of trowbridge but what was to be done about carrie brattle mrs fenwick when she had expressed her anger against the marquis was quite ready to own that the matter of carrie's position was to them of much greater moment than the wrath of the peer how were they to put out their hands and save that brand from the burning fenwick in his ill-considered zeal suggested that she might be brought to the vicarage but his wife at once knew that such a step would be dangerous in every way how could she live and what would she do and what would the other servants think of it why would the other servants mind it asked fenwick but his wife on such a matter could have a way of her own and that project was soon knocked on the head no doubt her father's house was the proper place for her but then her father was so dour a man upon my word said the vicar he is the only person in the world of whom i believe myself to be afraid when i get at him i do not speak to him as i would to another and of course he knows it nevertheless if anything was to be done for carrie brattle it seemed as though it must be done by her father's permission and assistance there can be no doubt that it is his duty said mrs fenwick i will not say that as a certainty said the husband there is a point at which i presume a father may be justified in disowning a child the possession of such a power no doubt keeps others from going wrong what one wants is that a father should be presumed to have the power but that when the time comes he should never use it it is the comfortable doctrine which we are all of us teaching wrath and abomination of the sinner before the sin pardon and love after it if you were to run away from me janet frank do not dare to speak of anything so horrible i should say now probably that were you to do so i would never blast my eyes by looking at you again but i know that i should run after you and implore you to come back to me you wouldn't do anything of the kind and it isn't proper to talk about it and i shall go to bed 
it is very difficult to make crooked things straight said the vicar as he walked about the room after his wife had left him i suppose she ought to go into a reformatory but i know she wouldn't and i shouldn't like to ask after what she said it is probably the case that mr fenwick would have been able to do his duty better had some harsher feeling towards the sinner been mixed with his charity End of chapter twenty six